Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. I'm Brian Moran, and today I want to welcome Whitney Johnson to our podcast. I, I know Whitney, I've known her for a while, and she is a just a fantastic human being. But I'm going to read a little bit about her, her bio, which I, I pulled off her website. She's the CEO of WLJ Advisors and one of the 50 leading business thinkers in the world, as named by Thinkers 50. She's an expert on helping high-growth organizations develop high-growth individuals. She's an award-winning author, world-class keynote speaker, frequent lecturer for Harvard Business School's Corporate Learning Center, and an executive coach and advisor to CEOs. She's a popular contributor to Harvard Business Review. And Whitney, I want to ask you about this. Has 1.7 million followers on LinkedIn? Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So the the secret's out, I guess, about you, right? <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, yeah. So she was uh, selected as a top voice in 2018, and her course on fundamentals of entrepreneurship has been, been viewed more than 1 million times. And in 2017, she was selected from more than 16,000 candidates as a top 15 go- coach by Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. That is impressive. Well, well thank and, you. And, and with that, I want to welcome you to the show. <laughs> thank you, Brian. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I, I, I'm reading it and I'm like, I never want to follow you on stage <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> it, it'll be like, I just, I'll go, what she said, and then I'd walk off. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. We just have different things to say, right? <laughs> yeah, but apparently a lot more people listen to you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You're, I, you're making me blush, Brian. What do you uh, want me to say? Thank they, you. We, we thank should you, have been, you, this should you. have been a video uh, podcast. <laughs> Darn it. There you go. All right. You know, what I, I love reading your newsletters. I love reading your books. I love all of the stories you tell and the trips you take. So what are you working on right now? What, 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 what's, what did you do today? What did I do today? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so um, I got up. Um, I usually... That's good. Yeah, yeah, that I got up. So I usually wake up around 4.30 or 5, but I don't get out of bed immediately. Like I'll listen to, to you know, recordings or things, whether it's like spiritual texts or whatever, just to kind of get my brain where I want it to be and think about mm-hmm. the day. Um, and then this morning I worked on um, a draft for a video that I need to do for Michael Bungay Stanier for his next book called The Advice Trap. Um, I wrote up some notes and thinking about my next book and just starting to write that next book that we're going to look at publishing in early 2021. Um, And then I did two podcast interviews and now I get to talk to you. And then tonight I'm going over to, and I spent actually the bulk of my morning preparing to give a talk 
to um, high school students at our church about how to talk to someone that you don't know. (laughs) That is going to be an interesting conversation is how do you talk to 12 to 18 year olds about talking to someone you don't know? So that's what my day has looked like. So wow. No room in there to cure like an incurable disease. No, no room. Although not today, I've been able, not not today, today. But I've been able to actually eat spinach dip with pita chips, which made me very happy. There you go. Well, that was not an, on my lunch menu. <laughs> no, no spinach and pita dip. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Um, so you have a updated version. I, I want to tell our listeners because you you were on a podcast earlier, and we talked about your book build an A-team, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. And, and everybody loved it. We got a lot of great feedback on that show, but you, you wrote a book in 2015 and I honestly consider it to be one of my top 10 favorite books of all time. It's called disrupt yourself. And in, in 2015, it was disrupt yourself, putting the power of disruptive innovation to work. And, and you've done a lot of work with Clayton Christensen, another you know, author and lecture uh, speaker that I am very, very fond of. I, I love his work. And I always feel like I learn something when I hear him and when I hear you. But you updated it for 2019 with a new kind of an introduction and new title, right? Disrupt Yourself, Master Relentless Change, and Speed Up Your Learning Curve. Why the update? Why, why the new is there a new focus or new? Tell me about the introduction. Yeah, it's a great question. So <clears throat> one of the things that we discovered is um, after after we published Disrupt Yourself in 2015 is the Boston Globe came out with this review and they were like, this is, this is potentially the what color is your parachute for the mm. entrepreneurial generation. And part of me was like, yes. And then the other part of me was like, oh, now we have a problem because that means anybody, any manager inside of any organization is not going to want to read the book. Or if they mm-hmm. do, they don't want their team to read it. They're not going to want to listen to our podcast. Like they're going to be like, get away from us because all of my high performers, if they read this book, they're going to leave. And yeah, that has happened. Mm-hmm. But I, but for me, that was missing sort of this fundamental idea, which is high growth organizations need high growth individuals. And a high growth individual is a person who knows how to learn, to leap and repeat, how to disrupt themselves. And so we wanted to really reposition the book of just saying, okay, yes, this is, it does work for career changers, but it works for anybody who is interested in growth, whether you're an individual, whether you're an organization, um, whether you're a manager trying to build a team of high performers. So that was, that was the purpose of reframing it. And, and also there was the, the, you know, now, the, the publisher had been sold. We had an opportunity to publish it with Harvard Business Press. But the sort of the raison d'etre of a new edition was the ability to say, this is for people, managers, for organizations, not just for individuals who want to change jobs. So do I have to be a high growth individual in order to disrupt myself? Mm, that's a great question. I, what I would say, I would reverse it and say, if you're willing to disrupt yourself and if you're willing to step back from who you are into who you can be and to do that systematically and to get so that you basically automate it, you can do it effectively, then you become a high growth individual. So I would say the input is a willingness to disrupt yourself and the output is a high growth individual. But 
obviously it's going to start with the desire to become a high growth individual. Although there are occasions when we get disrupted and then we get to decide what we want to do with that. Now that's an interesting way of looking at it because I think of, and you know, I talk to small business owners every single day. And what I'm finding is with a number of them, I feel like it's at least half of the small business owners I talk to, they, they're more likely to be disrupted than to initiate the disruption. You know, it's like getting kicked out of your comfort zone. Right. You know, so an adverse incident happens in your business and it forces you to move up, move up, move out, move over. And, you know, disruption isn't always a, a positive thing, right? I mean, it actually has a negative connotation to it. It does. I mean, it, it, it can. I mean, like you, you know, the, the basic or simple one is like when you were in school, you were disrupting class and you got sent to the principal's office or, <laughs> well, you know, so there, there is that connotation to it. I think, I think though, in, in the context of which you and I are talking about it, there are absolutely are situations, all of us at some point in our lives and our businesses get disrupted. Um, part of the premise here, though, is if you're willing to, you know, if you're saying, okay, there's a lot of change, there's a lot of upheaval, um, how do I manage through this? The, the, the answer is actually quite counterintuitive, and that is, well, if you're willing to disrupt yourself, right. then you will be able to manage through that change more effectively. Um, it doesn't mean it will be easy or simple, but you will have the wherewithal to do it. What's interesting though, Brian, is that um, probably about a year ago, someone said to me, well, who's reading your books? Like who's buying your books and who, you know, who's hiring you to do work with them? And I was like, well, it's, it's companies, it's organizations that are going through upheaval or people who want to make a big change. But then when I started looking at who was actually writing checks to work with us, mm-hmm. I found that it was high growth organizations, whether growth stage companies or PE backed or, you know, or or even like Fortune 100 companies that were in this period where they were moving into growth. They were the ones who were attracted to these ideas. It wasn't necessarily the people who were getting disrupted and like, I need to do something. It's almost like they were paralyzed. It was the people who were saying, we are growing so fast. We need to make sure our people can keep up. Can you help us make sure that they can? That's interesting. Well, and because mm-hmm. part of the disruption is, you know, climbing up the S curve, right? Where you experience right. hyper growth. Right. Exactly. And so, and so when you break through that initial inertia, try saying that 10 times fast. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> um, going to. But when you break through, at, when you start to change, change is always hard, right? And so yes. when you start to change, there is that initial pushback. What are you doing? Why are you leaving our comfort zone? We love this place. And and then it's when you kind of break free in your book, you write about hyper growth. And so it's preparing your team for that experience, right? Is that is that what the, the leaders are saying, that we need to get these people ready for hyper growth? Or yeah, they're already in that stage? Yeah, well, it, it can be both. So for example, like, all right, so I've got this... Our company is growing really quickly, like it's it's growing at 100% per year and I've got some great people, but I need to make sure if our company is going to grow 100% per year, I've got people who are capable of growing 100% per year as well because the only way we're going to get where we want to go and be able to do it effectively and, and to manage this growth 
is to make sure that the people who are working here can manage that growth. Because ultimately, an organization is to shell. The only thing that animates it is the people. And so it's that saying to themselves, okay, we're growing this quickly. How do I make sure that the people who are working for me can grow quickly as well? And you do that by understanding what the seven accelerants of personal disruption are. You do that by understanding that everyone's on an S-curve of learning. Mm -hmm. Depending on where people are on that S-curve of learning, it then gives you information as a manager to know how to manage people. Because if you're at the low end of the S-curve, the experience that the, the person who you're working with is having is they can feel discouraged. They can feel overwhelmed because it feels like mm -hmm. they're not growing at all. So what they need is a lot of support from their manager. Once they get in the sweet spot, they're like loving it. Like this is so fun. It's hard, but not too hard. And what happens then is the manager's tendency is to say, well, they're doing great. I'm just going to forget about them. Well, that's the point at which they need to be focused on because they start to become a flight risk. And at the high right. end of the S curve, now they're really good at what they're doing, but because they're no longer growing at the rate they once were, and they're no longer getting that dopamine that's helping them learn, they're starting to get bored. And what they need from you as a manager counterintuitively is a challenge. Like you, they need you to push them really hard so they move back into the sweet spot or jump to the bottom of a new curve. And so what this allows you to do is saying, okay, regardless of where my people are on my team, whether at the low, middle, or high end, I now know what I need to do to manage them along the curve. And if I'm an individual, I know that there are seven accelerants of personal disruption. If I want to move up that curve quickly, I've got to take responsibility for it. I know my boss, yes, they need to help me, but I ultimately have to take that responsibility. I am an agent capable of acting. And so here's how I can do that more, more quickly. Right. And, and I want to get into the, those seven keys you talk about to successful disruption, at least a couple of them. Um, but it, what you talk about makes a great visual. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I see like up on a whiteboard, you know, somebody who's got a team of 20 people and he's drawing your S curve and he actually puts their names in, you know, along the S curve. Here's Bob. That's right. Here's yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and so when he that. talks to them, right? When he talks to them, he understands why they're frustrated or why they're just, you know, moving along effortlessly. Exactly. And I love that, Brian, because all of the people who are listening, all of your small business owners that are listening to this, you can do this with your team. You can drop that S like you just said, mm -hmm. you know, where's Brian? Where's Mary? Where are they on the S curve? And on the basis of where they are, now I know what they need so that they can have momentum. And so it allows you to make sure that they are high growth. It also helps you retain them if they're at the top of that curve. But what do you need to do so they either gain or regain momentum. Um, and then if, as you're doing that, then they're performing well. And because they're all growing quickly, then your organization can continue to grow quickly. Right. And so, you know, in the book, you talk about the efficiencies of the S curve so that if you have, let's say 10 people on your team that, you know, you look at it the way it is now versus the ideal situation, you'll have, I think it's like two or three people at the bottom of the S curve and two or three people at the top, but it, it you know, maybe five or six people in that hyper growth mode. 
Right. right. In the, ideally. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're seeing. And then in the organizations that are growing quickly, that are innovating, we're starting to see in our research is that you have about 70% of your people in the sweet spot because that's where they know enough, but not too much. And so mm-hmm. they're still asking questions, but they're also able, they've got the competencies that they need to kind of a- answer some of those questions. But you also know, need people at the low end where there's a piece of you, it's like, oh, they don't know what they're doing, but it also means that they're able to ask questions like, well, why are we doing it like this? Which are actually really important questions um, Mm. in terms of innovation. And so, um, and then at the top of the S curve, you need people who aren't maybe asking as many questions, but they are capable of answering questions and really acting as a stabilizing force for people who are moving along the curve. So they're all playing these different roles. And so there's, there's this, we talk a lot about diversity, but there's diversity in terms of stages of learning along that S curve as well. That can be very important when you've got an organization that's trying to, to, to innovate and not stagnate. Got it. So, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at my note. I took notes when I read your book. I've got about 15 pages of notes. So, you know, when I write and I, and so I wrote down the seven keys, it's WJ's keys to successful disruption. The first one you mentioned is called take the right risks. What does that mean? Well, there are two kinds of risks that, that, that I think about. There's competitive risk and there's market risk. And one of the things that we know from disruption theory is that when you take on market risk, your odds of success are six times higher. So you always want to be trying to take on market risk. And market competitive risk is, you know, you know there's an opportunity, but there's a lot of competition. And market risk, you don't know if there's an opportunity, but if there is, there's very little competition. And usually we think about this in the context of the product or the business, you know, that you're in. But the way I want you to think about it is for you personally. How can you take on market risk? And market risk might look like, you know, you're not applying for a job, for example, because there's 10 applicants and you have to figure out if you can compete and win. It looks more like, well, there's a problem that needs to be solved and you think you can solve it. And if you can create the market for that that position, then there's not 10 applicants, there's you. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way that you can think about it, especially for your small business owners, is one of the things that sometimes happens is that someone will... Um, over time, there's a lot that needs to be done and job descriptions morph and and transform. And so then you just now hire a brand new person to do the job that you think needs to be done. But it turns out that it's morphed. And so there's someone in the company who's already doing that job. So now you've hired this new person, this old person thinks it's their job. So you've created the situation of competitive risk, which never ends well. And so you want to take on market risk by when you hire someone, make sure that whatever job you've hired them to do it's market risk. There's playing where no one else is playing so they can actually come to work, do their job, and the odds of their being successful are much higher. So again, odds of success are six times higher. And and the way that I would think about this or really encapsulate this idea is that amateurs compete and professionals create. Wow, that's great. And that that is counterintuitive to what the way a lot of people think. So, you know, listening to you, um, you know, so you create a, a market risk, develop a product, a service, and where there's nobody there right now in that space. But you know, there are people who get into that space and they look around and they go, "I'm, I'm the only one here." You know, exactly. it, re- it actually reminds me of a great story, and I, I'll attribute it to Zig Ziglar, Ogmandino, but uh, I don't know exactly who said it. 
there were two shoe salesmen who were dropped off in a remote island because uh, it was part of their territory. And uh, they, they, the, the islanders are all come to the shore to meet them. And they look down and there are thousands of them and no one's wearing shoes. And the first salesman radios the helicopter and says, come back and pick me up. Nobody has shoes. Like this is, they don't, they don't wear shoes. And the second guy radios his helicopter and says, bring reinforcements. Nobody here wears shoes. That is a great illustration of this idea. It's perfect. It's that, perfect. That's exactly what it reminds me of. And, and yeah. in order to make that work, you have to have the second salesperson. You have to have that mindset of, I embrace new opportunities. I am willing to be the only person in this arena and get you know, market lead, market share. I mean, you know, that, that, that's a little bit of what uh, Clayton Christensen wrote, right? In, in, right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is building on his work. And, and here's why it's hard, Brian, is because competitive risk feels more certain. Yeah. So you look at competitive risk and you're like, there's a market there. Like you can scope it out. So you look at it and your brain goes, this is more certain. Therefore, it must be less risky. It's like, you know, there's an enemy, you're going into battle. And so that feels super comfortable. Whereas market risk, like you just described with the shoe salesman, is that it, it's less certain. It, it, it's less certain because you don't know if there's a market. But again, what we know from the research is that even though it's less certain, it's actually less risky but that's what's going on in your brain and, and and why it's hard hard to do hard to take on market versus competitive risk right right one of the other uh keys to successful disruption was embracing constraints yeah but i'm thinking handcuffs and, and uh, <laughs> i i can't move right tell me tell me about how I can embrace constraints in order to successfully disrupt myself. Yeah. And I think this is a great one for, for your audiences because, you know, when you've got a small business, there's going to be, you know, invariably something you don't have enough m- enough of. Like you're not going to have enough money. You're not going to have enough time. You might not have enough expertise. You might not have enough, you know, stakeholders, people around you, not people who want to buy your product, for example, or your service. Um, But what we know is that it's a law of physics that you need um, something to bump up against. You need friction in order to gain energy um, to have momentum to to climb an S-curve. And I I think a great, great illustration of this idea actually two great illustrations is, um, first of all, there was a post-mortem done of 200 failed startups and they divided them into funded and unfunded startups. And the number one reason that the funded startups went out of business, obviously they'd raised outside capital, but the number one reason they went out of business is that they ran out of cash. Mm. They didn't have enough constraints. Whereas the unfunded startups, the ones who had built their business on operating cash flow was, it was only the number 10 reason. And, and so we look at, okay, constraints really made a difference in this situation. The other one, it's a kind of pithier, simpler one, but I think um, really illustrates it is that skateboarders are some of the quickest learners in the world. And the reason that they're quick learners is because they receive incredibly fast and useful feedback. Every action. <laughs> From every the cement. 
Exactly. It yeah. has immediate consequence. And so um, that's the value of constraints. And so one of the things that I really think about with this idea of constraints is for a disruptor, for someone who's trying to, to climb, you know, climb an, uh, um, an S curve is that uh, the, 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 the constraints are not a check on their absolute freedom. It's really a tool of creation. And so how are they going to use that constraint to, to create something? One of the challenges, I think, today with companies is that it feels like our economy and our society is in a constant state of change. And I think that's obviously why you talked about mastering relentless change. I mean, you know, we're trying to sell products and services as business owners. It it almost seems like this is a full-time job, right? To, to, understand where you are in the S curve and understand how disrupting yourself is going to help you achieve your goals and take your business to the next level. And, um, how do you, how does somebody do, how does, how do my listeners mm-hmm. disrupt themselves and their team in uncharted waters? Because that's what it feels like for business owners. We don't know if there's going to be a recession next year. We don't know what the economy holds for us. We don't know if there's a new competitor coming into our marketplace that's going to completely blow us up. So how do we do it? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think one of the things I would say is that there, there is a lot that's out of our control that we literally can do nothing about. Like we can do nothing about what the economy is going to do. Um, we can't really control whether a new competitor is going to come into the market. And that can create a lot of uncertainty, a lot of dis-ease. And so what I say, and I, I, I truly believe this, is that while we cannot control that, what we can do is we can control what we do. I think one of the things that we underestimate when we're looking at all of these exogenous factors is we underestimate how much we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we underestimate how agent- agentic we actually are. And it doesn't start necessarily with big things. It starts with small things. So for example, I would challenge um, each person who's listening to this is to say to themselves, okay, so what did I do today in order to be a better leader? What did I do today to understand my industry better? What did I do today um, to grow faster? And while that will not solve everything, what I have found in my own experience, my N of one and, and looking at research is that when I am willing to step back from who I am into who I can be, mm-hmm. I may not be able to catch all the change that will come at me, but I will be able to take it in a way I will have the wherewithal to manage through it and come out on the other side um, intact um, and a stronger, more resilient person and my business stronger and more resilient as a consequence. It will not necessarily be easy, but if you're looking at your life and your time on this planet as the long game, that to me is is the approach that we must take is that we, we focus on what we have control over, remembering that we have 
far more control over things than we think we do. And let me just give you a simple example that I think will really illustrate and bring this home. And you, you know this because it was in my newsletter last week, but I think this really illustrates what I'm trying to, to describe here. Of We have so much more control than we think we do. So um, a couple of weeks ago, probably about a month ago, I was speaking in Spain and um, it turns out that I was born in Spain because my parents were living over there at the time. And so in advance of the speech, my daughter said to me, you know, mom, it would be really cool if you could show a picture of you or your parents, you know, like when you were a baby. And I said to her, well, we don't have any pictures. Like I've never seen a picture ever. Wow. And she said, she said, well, ask, ask, ask grandma. I was like, well, we don't have, she's like, just ask her. I was like, okay. So I asked my mom, mom, do we have any pictures? Like, no, no, we don't. I'm like, well, mom, you know, following my daughter's example now, would you just look? So my mom looks and she finds this picture. It's a lovely picture. My mom's pregnant with me. Um, my parents were young, full of dreams, happy. Um, and, and so couple of things happened. Number one, I discovered that the problem in this situation was not an exogenous factor, that there weren't any pictures available. The problem was, is I wasn't willing to ask if there were pictures available because I believed that there weren't. I was the limiting factor in this situation. And how many times do we do this every single day of our lives is we are the limiting factor. The upshot, the lovely upshot of all of this was, is that my parents... (coughs) We're not happily married. My mom had gotten pregnant because she was, or she'd gotten pregnant. They got married because of me. Turned out they later got divorced. So not, you know, so lots of pieces of me felt like I wasn't really wanted. There Mm -hmm. was something magical about that picture of seeing them when they were young in that, in that place that I felt wanted in that moment. And so not only asking um, and, and discovering that I was an agent, I had control over my lives. It led to this serendipitous moment of me feeling more wanted and having more of a place in the world. And so I come back to the question that you just asked me, upheaval, change, will there be a competitive Will the economy tank? Maybe at some point, probably, but there is so much that we can do today that is within our control. And so that would be my invitation, my encouragement, my challenge to everyone who's listening is to figure out what's within your control because there's a lot more than you think there is. That is such a fantastic story um, and, and a beautiful one. You know, every, it's like every time I talk to you and when I read your newsletters, I learn more about you and I learn more about myself. And, you know, don't, don't accept no. Let, if, if, so, if, if no is going to be the answer, let somebody else say no. <laughs> don't don't say no yourself. It's like, you know, I play blackjack, you know, don't beat yourself in blackjack. Let the dealer beat you. That's kind of a common rule. You know, stay in the game for as long as you can. You never know what's going to happen. And you're, you're a, a thousand percent right about that ad- attitude and, the, and that approach. One thing that I'll add to what you said is play the what if game. Mm. So don't, don't just wait for a recession to happen and then decide how you're going to respond. If a recession would have hit a year from now, what would you do in your business? If a competitor suddenly came into the marketplace, what would you do? If you got hacked, if your best salesman left, if your biggest customer went out of business and took a bunch of receivables with them, when you start to play the what if game, 
when something does happen, an adverse situation, if you played the game, all you have to do is break open the glass, pull out the note that you wrote, you know, a year ago or six months ago and say, oh, if we get hacked, this is what we're going to do. Or if, if our biggest customer goes out of business, here's what we're going to do. And that's the difference between winners and losers, in my opinion, is because you're going, you're not going to make a quick decision based on how do I get out of this pain as fast as I possibly can. Right. That's so good. You have a plan beforehand and then you just execute on the plan, which is super hard to do, but very, very valuable. And I think that's why we have things like rainy day funds is that willingness to say, we do know that this could come. And if it does, then we'll be able to sleep at night. And then also realizing things like if we do do lose a big customer, what's the worst thing that can happen? And oftentimes it's not as bad as we, I mean, it'll be bad, but it's not as bad as we think it will be. Right. All right. The book is Disrupt Yourself, Master Relentless Change, and Speed Up Your Learning Curve. When I tell you this is one of my 10 favorite books of all time, you know I mean it. And I highly recommend it. We're going to put a, a link to the, uh, the page so people can look at it. They can buy it. Before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about your weekly podcast, which is called Disrupt Yourself. You've now done 140 shows. Yes. And you were wow. one of my very first guests. <laughs> I was number three. I, 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 I showed, as we like to say in horse racing. <laughs> yes, I was number three. and uh, But I'm sure you've really mastered the art of it in, in terms of getting you know high quality guests on and whatnot <laughs> since number three. Um, I, I love your podcast. I really, because you are insightful, you ask such great questions and you really draw some great key takeaways from your guests. So again, I'm going to, I'm going to add that to the resources uh, for people, for my listeners, so they can listen to your podcast. 140 shows. Wait, before we go there though, I want to just comment. I think, I think what's interesting and I I hope that you'll include the link to the interview that you and I did Okay. because, you know, it was one of those situations where we didn't really know each other that well and kind of almost on a lark, I reached out to you to interview you. And yet I feel like, you know, that was such a, one of the one of wonderful things about podcasts is you always have this opportunity to have a moment yeah. where there's just this conversation that takes place. And I felt like I just want to just say this to you. Uh, it was just such a special moment because you were so willing to talk about, um, just like similar to the podcast you did not too long ago with your son, you were willing to yeah. open up and share what was happening with you and, and talk in a very real way and, and made it very intimate and lovely. And so I just, you know, you made that kind of, hey, you know, guess, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that was a special, special time. And I, I want to thank you again for, for honoring me and all of our listeners by being willing to share, share that experience. I, I need to thank you. I, I'm, I'm, I don't follow the zodiac signs a whole lot, but I'm a cancer. So, you know, hard on the outside, soft on the inside. Not a whole lot of people get in uh, to the inside. You kind of chink the armor there. And... <gasps> And that was it. I mean, you know, we all look, we all go through tough times and I had gone through a number of them. And I love the fact that one of your quotable takeaways for me is I want to thank every person who ever did anything bad to me in my life because I am where I am today as a result of, yeah. of them being, you know, idiots. Yeah. And, 
Um, you know, I never really even thought about that until you and I had that conversation. You kind of blindsided me, which I loved in hindsight. But I remember, I remember. <laughs> At the I, time, you did not love it. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you remember the follow-up to our, the, our podcast. I called you and I said, I need to think about having you let that go live, like let that put that. Do you remember that? I said, Oh, I do. And I, I do. said, I, I'm not comfortable right now. We talked about bankruptcy. We talked about getting fired. We talked about falling down. And it was like, here are all my scars. And, um, and you said, okay, I respect your position and I won't, I won't publish it. If you tell me not to, but I really think there's some stuff in here that will um, will help people. And I and I I said I I mean literally jumped in you know jumped off the cliff and I'm like okay let's do it. And you're you were a hundred percent right. And the feedback that I got from that was really life affirming. And you know and and that's when and you referenced my son's podcast. My son has mental illness. I've mentioned that before on my podcast. And uh, we did a podcast on World Mental Health Day called I Didn't Ask for This. And it was basically his story. And that that took the podcast to a whole new level. I mean, since then, it's it's really been fantastic. But we must have received at least four or 500 emails, text messages, phone calls from people. A lot of people I knew, but a lot of people I didn't know. That's amazing, Brian. 500 yeah. emails after the podcast with your son. That is so yeah. wonderful. And, and it wasn't even oh. like we, we you know, promoted so it heavily or something. Right. It was very organic. But, uh, uh, and, you know, a lot of it was they talked about, you know, how courageous he was and how much they appreciated him telling his story. And, um, you know, just really heartwarming and like... People said, you know, here's what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, a lot of that disrupting yourself. Remember, I asked you, you know, do you need to be a high growth individual to, to disrupt yourself? I think the biggest problem that a lot of us have in life, whether you're a business owner, or you work for a large corporation, you're man, you're woman, black, white, old, young, is that we get comfortable in our comfort zones and we do everything we possibly can to stay there. And even though the comfort zone is starting to like get smaller and start to get some cracks and, you know, we're like, I don't want to change. I don't, I don't want to change the way I do everything in my life. And I would argue, Brian, even if it's an awful comfort zone, like we're really unhappy, it's still comfortable. It's still what we know. Yep. And I, I think it was Pat Croce, who's a friend of mine who I had on a podcast. And we his podcast was called No, what is it? No Mud, No Lotus Flower. <laughs> and it, I'm tell, it was, it was kind of like along the same lines. I mean, that really got a lot of play because mm-hmm. it was things, things that you want in life. If they're easy, they're not worth having. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, you're not trying hard enough. Somebody actually once called me the most successful underachiever they ever met in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
<laughs> and and I and I and you know what? It was before I went through all of the struggles that I uh-huh. had gone through in business and whatnot with my son. And um, but I th- I thought a lot about that. That's why your book resonates so much with me, mm-hmm. because there is no security in life. Security, and this is going way back, but you know, somebody said security is an illusion. And that the only true security you have is between your ears. That comes from my mother. And I mentioned that in your podcast. But I, I, I almost want to say to you that, that this book, you know, your nucleus is the high growth individual, the high growth company, the people who want to disrupt themselves, climb the S curve and um, you know, attain greater things in life. There's a secondary outer periphery circle there that is for the individual who is clinging to their broken, dilapidated comfort zone, thinking that that's the best mm. their lives are ever going to be. And when you, when you express your vulnerability, it makes you invincible. When that's- you show the world your scars, the world's going to say, yeah, I got those scars too wow, how did you get yours? And you start to talk about it. And before you know it, your comfort zone is gone. You're on to a a new level, a new place in life without the baggage. So beautiful. And you know, what's interesting, Brian, as you said that, as I was thinking about, you know, I just, I just interviewed Simon Sinek for our podcast. So I was reading all of his work and start with why. And I was like, well, what's my why, right? That's the question is what is your why? Yeah. Which I would be curious to see what, hear what you would have to say. And I was like, what is my why? And I realized that it's some version of my why is to help every person see their fundamental value and the possibility of who they can be. And I think when you just said that about there's this periphery of people whose lives are feeling dilapidated and say, and, and I think all of us on any given day do feel our lives are dilapidated yeah. is to say, no, here is who you can be. Like, this is the possibility for you. I see that in you. I want that for you. And I, I just think that that is so, so powerful. And I love that, that I love that insight that you had. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your books. Thank you for your newsletter. Thank you for making me and my listeners and everybody who reads your work um, challenging us to disrupt our lives because there is something better out there. Life can change on a dime. And, and usually when it does, it's for the worse. But sometimes it's for the better. And like you said, you know, there, I, I wrote it down. Um, nature favors risk takers. Play to win. Don't play to lose. That's, that's the message I want my listeners to walk away with. When you disrupt yourself, know that you, with, with confidence, you can, you can find a much better place in life. Amen. There you go. You're a fantastic guest. Um, Thank you very much. 
and and for my listeners, um, I'll include the uh, Disrupt Yourself podcast that Whitney has. They're fantastic uh, weekly podcasts that uh, she provides with uh, a whole slew of guests. As you heard, Simon Sinek was one and um, I'm just, I'm a big fan of it and go on Amazon to check out her book, Disrupt Yourself. Whitney, I hope you have a fantastic um, 2020. I would love to have you back on and uh, continue to spread the word. Thank you, Brian, for having me. This was a lot of fun. As always. All right. And with that, I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Look forward to talking to you more. And I appreciate all your feedback on our podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bones. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.